You're smart. Your TV is smart. That's why you cut the cord. But you need one more thing. Alaska's news source. Watch live or when it's convenient for you. Here's how. Just search Alaska's news source on Roku, Apple TV, Amazon Fire, or Android TV. Install and enjoy. It's completely free and has everything you need in one spot. Breaking news. Statewide weather. In-depth investigations. Start streaming Alaska's news source live today. Welcome to Alaska's Political Pipeline. I'm David Bernkoff. And I'm Rebecca Palsha. And we have a very focused podcast today because on Monday night this week, the Anchorage Coalition to End Homelessness had a event, press conference and an event where pretty much everybody in this community who's involved in the homeless issue was there. Mm-hmm. The mayor, his staff, the assembly, members of the assembly, members of the nonprofit community, business people, and interested citizens. But the special guests uh-huh. were people from Houston, Texas. And why, Rebecca, did people from Houston, Texas come here? You know, because you had the investigative unit out in Texas to talk about their homeless plans, which are kind of you know nationally talked about about as a success story. So it was, yeah. it was fascinating. Yeah. And the Anchorage Coalition to End Homelessness had met with members of the Houston Coalition on Homeless Issues, as well as some other Houston officials at a conference in Washington a couple of months after we did our series mm-hmm. of stories. And we were told that our series of stories on Houston had helped focus the Anchorage people on Houston's success. So they got together with the folks from Houston, invited them up here, paid for them to come up here, and they're here all week working on a pilot program. And that pilot program is designed to take 150 people at a cost of about $4.5 million, 150 people who are currently in the winter shelter program, and Mm -hmm. find permanent housing for those people. And if that project succeeds, you would then scale that model up and it is based on the Houston model. Mm -hmm. And you've just looked at some old video from our series, the Houston model. How would you describe that? It's, um, you know, it's funny because it's like, it's, it seems like, you know, people are just living on the streets. They go ahead and start the in process to put them in a shelter and then eventually they're working with landlords to find a permanent house. And when they say that, it's not a hotel. It's a place that you would walk in and be like, this is my home. You know, it has a place to cook food. It has you know, a bedroom and a bathroom, not just a bed. It's like, this could feel like my house. A small apartment. Yeah, a small apartment. And one of the key issues is that, as you mentioned, they work with a lot of landlords. Mm-hmm. And so to that end, the coalition here announced they are contracting with a real estate expert, first step, find out what Anchorage has in terms of small apartments mm-hmm. or, um, you know, maybe they're duplexes, maybe, whatever they are, but something more than just an, a, a motel room that's yeah. been renovated. Yeah. And they don't know yet what that will be. I'm curious to see what they come up with. I mean, as someone, when I moved here as a 20-year-old 
you know, finding apartments is hard here, especially nice ones and um, that are affordable. <laughs> right. And these would be subsidized initially mm-hmm. is generally the plan. And then you use people's, they may be on, uh, on uh, Social Security or they may have veterans benefits. They may get disability. And so that money then pays for the unit. So these are not units ultimately that uh, are paid for by the taxpayer. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that Mayor Bronson was uh, talking about at the event mm-hmm. on Monday night is he doesn't want to have to use tax money, property tax money, to pay for permanent housing. So the Houston model pays for maybe a year of the housing, and then the person is responsible for paying it, paying their lease the the way anybody else is. Mm -hmm. And they may use, like I said, Social Security money, or they may have a part-time job or whatever it is, but it's then their responsibility Mm -hmm. to keep their own apartment. And the success of the Houston system is that instead of cycling people in and out of emergency shelters or temporary shelters, you are moving people into these units that they want to stay in. Right. That is their home, as you said. And then there's an incentive for them to keep it because they don't want to be on the street anymore. Mm-hmm. And then there's also wraparound services to help keep people there so they don't return to the streets. This is not an easy thing to do. And we hear that over and over again. From oh, it the, sounds like an incredible amount of work, actually. You know? an, yeah. And you have to have everybody on the same uh-huh. page. It's a collaborative thing. All the agencies, the government entities, they have to be willing to work together to make this work. And no one can have their own fiefdom. Right. (laughs) And and that was very clear last night. Uh, I know some people won't be listening to this on Tuesday, but it was very clear on Monday night (laughs) that the collaboration is key. The Mm -hmm. Houston people who were here spoke about it. Uh, Everybody had a kind of kumbaya moment. They were all in the room together and there were no disagreements expressed. And so this is... Which is important because this is a group who has not played well together. Right. They've disagreed over policy. And in terms of future uh, expenditures to pay for this, if it gets to be a bigger program, that was left a little undetermined. Um, one of The Houston Coalition CEO, uh, when I asked him, you know, what do you do to uh, to finance this if you're in Anchorage. And mm-hmm. he said, you know, I'd be calling up the state legislature <laughs> and demanding you help us more. Uh, easy for a guy from, easy Houston, to say. <laughs> from Houston to say that. But the truth is that that's what Houston has done. They uh-huh. have lobbied a lot, their state officials, federal officials. And we were told that, you know, now Anchorage is, uh, has been and will uh, step up its effort to get more federal money to help pay to expand the pilot program. So they they say they've identified sources of funding largely from the alcohol tax, but also moving some other things around that are already... Um, uh, here's, my, here's my question for you, since you were in Texas. When I was looking through all the video, um, it was the most vulnerable first. Is that, would that be the same process in Anchorage? They didn't specify that, but that was something that the folks from Houston mentioned last night, that if you get the most vulnerable people off the streets Mm -hmm. first, you then reduce the number of outdoor deaths, you reduce the number of people who require emergency medical service treatment and police 
uh, policing uh, visits. And so then you save money uh, on that end right. by not having so much uh, money spent on emergency treatments. Those, that's the most expensive way to do it. It's very expensive. Or putting people in jail is yeah. very expensive. It's one of the numbers that Meg Zaltel, the uh, head of the coalition here, said, uh, and Alexis Johnson has used this number too, for emergency shelter or temporary shelter, it's about $100 a day per person. For permanent shelter, it's about $75 a day per person. Huh. And you say, well, how is that possible? Yeah, right. Because it's more expensive to run a hundred-person shelter with security and with all the services that you need mm. on a temporary basis than it is to pay a monthly rent. Think of it like this. If you go to a hotel, it is more expensive for you to spend time in a hotel than it is in your own apartment generally. That's true, yeah. Because it's just the way the money plays out. So. That's an argument, and people don't – there are those who don't necessarily buy those numbers. It's not 100% clear that as you ramp up these th these things that it really saves you that much money. There's still some discussion about that. But it's not more expensive because of all the cost of emergency services. One thing I'm curious to see how it plays out is uh, Lauren Maxwell did a story – She's in a few stories about homelessness in Anchorage, um, about the number of people who want to stay outside. It'll be interesting to see how you go about trying to convince that group of people that they should move into an indoor shelter and more permanent home housing. The head of the Houston Coalition on Homelessness spoke about that issue. And he, he spoke about it with a warning. Uh -huh. And he said, if you go into this thinking you will solve all of the homeless problem mm -hmm. and move everybody into housing. You will fail. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. So what you can do is get 80 to 90% of people into permanent housing. There will always be people who you can't reach. And right. you just have to accept that. Uh, and that is a hard message. Nobody wants to hear that message. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, especially when, you're, when you see money being spent and then you can see, still see somebody sitting out on you know on a street corner. Yeah. I mean Houston says it's moved 60 to 70% mm -hmm. of its street people into permanent housing and we'll get that number up closer to 80 or 90% over time. Anchorage has moved a few hundred people into these motel units uh and still obviously has hundreds and hundreds of people that are either in other temporary shelters or still on the street. Again, one of the issues that Anchorage will face and that we don't have an answer for because these folks don't have an answer yet is what does permanent housing look like mm -hmm. in Anchorage? It may be that fixed up motel rooms uh, with very small kind of kitchenettes mm -hmm. is what we can do here. And that is an interesting uh, juxtaposition with what Houston does because they're very big on saying, and this point was made Monday night, that permanent housing is something where you have a lease, you have a key, you can cook, 
You can have a friend over if you want. Mm -hmm. You pay the rent. You're responsible for it. And it's a place where you can put your pictures up and whatever stuff you have, it's there. And we all know in a motel room, there's no room for your stuff. Right. There's no, you know... Dining room table. And plus there's rules for that, too. You know, um, we've heard stories of people at the Aviator getting kicked out for doing things that didn't agree, they, you know, the um, property didn't agree with. Um, And so just inherently there's more freedom when it's like your place to have people over. Um, It seems seems like it would stand to reason that you would have people spread out across Anchorage within apartments. Um, And that's one of the things you see in Houston. They don't have these... Uh, it's not a motel where everybody is homeless or was mm-hmm. homeless. It's an apartment complex where maybe 20% of the people are formerly homeless. Mm-hmm. And now they have a unit and they are responsible for all the things that anyone else is responsible for doing. If they are making a lot of noise, they can be evicted. If they're uh, leaving drug paraphernalia on the mm-hmm. street in front they have the same consequences that any other renter has. It's the whole idea is to help people transition into a more permanent situation, not a temporary situation. Yeah. I mean, because all the people right now who are staying in hotels, they know they have till April. Like there's a clear deadline, you know, so that's. Well, some of these hotels, not, yes, in the winter shelter, the aviator and the Ajax, the Ajax, the Alex. <laughs> I'm thinking of a cartoon. Um, yes, those people will be losing their spaces come April. And that's why this test is to find 150 of those folks of the roughly 500 and something that are in the, the mm-hmm. temporary shelter and not have them return to the streets, transition them into something better and more permanent, mm-hmm. and then and this is the term they all use, scale up the program. Let us take a victory lap, show (laughs) that we have uh, succeeded with these 150 people, and then next time we'll do a 300-person program. And that's how you approach this. You can't approach it as we've got 2,000 people to find housing for. Let's find it. Let's find it, yeah. That stands to reason. I mean, it seems like small victories. And also you get to talk about your victories as well, which just seems just as important to be able to, you know, as you said, take the victory lap. And every politician involved gets to pat themselves uh-huh. on the back if it's a success because they're all a part of it. And that is so important in the Houston model is everyone works on the same goal, same project, takes the same credit. No one in Houston says it's easy to keep that train running on a straight track. Mm-hmm. There's everybody, every community has its own political interests. Politicians have divergent interests. Nonprofits have different interests. They're oh, yeah. used to yeah. doing things in a certain way. And now if this became truly the Houston model, it's, no, if you want to feed people, don't come to us for help. That's on you. We're all about this moving people into housing, housing. and keeping them there. That's all we care about. Mm-hmm. We're not, we don't care about your library card. We don't care about, um, you know, your family who lives somewhere else. We care about getting you into a permanent housing unit and keeping you there. And that focus 
while it doesn't please everybody. Mm, I can imagine. Uh, you know, we did a part of the story we did was about a group that feeds homeless people in Houston who finds that it means people who are even more food insecure. As one person said, once you're in an apartment, it doesn't put food in your refrigerator. And that's true. And in and, and a place like Anchorage, it also is, you know, do you have a car? It's a very car-centric city. You know, that um, getting to the, where's your grocery store? Where is, you know... All that, all those services that you need to run an apartment complex, or not a rent, apartment complex, but but to live in an but apartment. to live in an apartment complex and have like a, an enjoyable stay and right. feel home, you have to have groceries, you have to have things that your car gets you there. Yeah. So if you are in the aviator now, there are service people right there with you mm-hmm. who will help you do these things. If you are in one of these apartment units in Houston, you still have a caseworker, but that caseworker is not right down the hall. You have to live on your own, essentially, Mm. with supportive services. So that's what this is about. It is not a 100% defined program yet because the first step was to get everybody in the same room and agree on the first expenditure. That's accomplished. The next step will be to learn something that nobody really knows now, and that is what is available <laughs> community-wide in terms of housing other than motel conversions. I'm, I'm curious to see, too, because I was looking at the Houston stories, and it was talking about incentivizing landlords. Um, I'm curious to see what that translates into for the landlords here. Right. You uh, know, because that's a, it's, it's a risk every time you rent to anybody. Yeah, you know, one of the things, so this is an interesting story that we didn't really get to in Houston, but it was an interesting thing one of the landlords said to us. He got into their program because he had been specializing in renting small apartments to college students. And when COVID hit, that market disappeared because college students weren't coming. They were at home. And so he's looking around and he says, oh, well, I hear about this coalition. Let me see if I can make that work. And it has. He now has about half of his units go to homeless folks. Mm. And I said to him, can you compare what a homeless person is like as a tenant versus a student? What did he say? And he kind of laughed and he said, you know, college students are not particularly careful (laughs) with my apartment units. Uh Homeless folks are more appreciative when they're (laughs) no longer homeless. And the vast majority of them, with one or two exceptions, are really good tenants. So he has not, he was afraid of that. Uh And it turns out, at least in his experience, that formerly homeless people were no worse and probably better than college students. Here's the only comeback, though, and maybe you have the answer for this. Because as a former college student at one point in my life, (laughs) you you have certain things that you come with, like parents who have some form of income most of the time, and they can fix things that your young self has ruined. What is the case for a homeless person should they create damage and there's, they don't have the backup? If they put a hole in the wall, they're going to lose that unit. Mm. They don't, you're right. They don't have a parent who's going to pay for it, and that is a little bit different. But as that landlord said to us, he has very few of those cases. Mm. Interesting. So that's part of uh, also part of the educational effort that will have to happen here 
in Anchorage uh-huh. when they're talking to landlords who, it's natural, would have those questions. And then if you can talk somebody into, well, let's try it with one or two units first. Right. You don't have to make a big commitment. That's the, that's Just the way. Just try it for a year. Yeah, yeah. And that's the way you scale it up. And maybe in the first year, you, you do guarantee that the coalition and the city will pay for any damage. Uh, these are all things that will be worked out on the local level because the Houston model doesn't translate 100% to any other city. There are different issues. And the biggest issue here is we do not have much available housing. Mm-hmm. That will be a huge challenge. But again, they don't really know what's available. What's out yet. there. They've never done a, a large-scale survey uh, to get an answer to that question. That just seems like, as a city, that would be helpful to hear, to see, like, what what are some of the issues facing everybody, you know? Because we all have different income levels, we all have different needs, but we all need houses. And it seems like, at a bare minimum, they might want that information just right. for their own sake. I mean, sake. people know about housing yeah. stock, but what they don't know is really what might be available at the lower end, what landlords are going to be willing to participate what kind of guarantees they might have to offer mm-hmm. landlords to get them to start out. One thing that, again, the Houston folks mention over and over again is any kind of housing construction helps with reducing the homeless population because even if you are building the most expensive condo in town, that means people are moving from other units into those condos and you free up things all the way down the line, the more housing you have. Mm -hmm. When you don't have much available housing, it puts a lot of pressure on the lower income groups because you get bid out of units or units gentrify. They fix them up to make more money. Right. And so you have, what's largely true is the more expensive a housing market is, the more homeless people you have. You know, then then I'm starting to see, like, stories developing within this this context. I can see people questioning as well, though, maybe people who make, who are not in a middle class, maybe, you know, because it's, I think the medium housing price here at one point, and it's probably higher now, is 300000 and that's a lot of money. And so now you have someone who also, I mean, it's that whole back and forth of, like, what what do I deserve? What do you deserve? you know, what makes one person get something over another. I can just see all these stories developing as well that question these things. Like if you work at a place that doesn't make a lot of money, do you not have as nice a place? Do you not get as much help? I can, you can like kind of. Am I getting forced out by the subsidized Yeah, Yeah, I can see this, these like things developing. It is certainly possible in a market that's as tight as this. And that's why. The long-term solution is to get more housing of all types constructed here. That is a really long-term solution. That doesn't solve anything by the target date of April. Mm-hmm. April means they've got to find units starting today. And some of those may be more motel units, which I think they've identified some of those. But it really is, first of all, what's out there. We don't know what's out there. Let's find out well, what's out there. I can't wait there. to see what out, what's out there. I'm, I want to know that myself. I think that will be a major story that we'll be following. Oh, absolutely. And the other story will be, it's nice to have your uh, first meeting where everyone has their arms around each other. <laughs> Let's see what happens. 
a oh. month from now, two months from now, if it holds together, that's always a challenge. Yeah, because this is not famously a group that loves each other right now at this point. Right. You know. One other little thing before we go that we learned just this morning is the Pallet Home Project is back under consideration. Pallet Homes, for those of you who are keeping score, <laughs> those are these little prefab uh Metal buildings, they're not made out of wooden pallets. That's just the name of the company. It's that a makes terrible them. name. It's a terrible, terrible. name. It gives you such an impression. Yeah, your mind goes to somebody stacking wooden pallets. Uh, that's exactly what I see. But these are, uh, they're made out of, I think, a company in, in Oregon somewhere, and they're small homes. And that plan was discussed last summer. It was n- never finalized. Now there's going to be another proposal to spend, I think, half a million dollars mm-hmm. on a, a pilot program for pallet homes outside uh, somewhere in town. It's important to note that we double-checked this with Felix Rivera from the Assembly. This is not seen as a kind of permanent housing. It's more temporary, temporary emergency shelter then you transition out of a pallet home into something permanent. <laughs> Calling it a pallet home inherently makes me already be like, well, this is not permanent. Like that is the most, uh, not to go back to being a terrible name, but that's a terrible name. <laughs> it's a name that I don't know how you can not think uh-huh. of something else when I you think hear of, that. Yeah, I think of like cheap wood. and. <laughs> but we've seen video of yeah. them and they they look kind of nice. They some of them have uh, two beds. Some have one bed. There's a, they're not bad looking. No, no, they're not, and they're easy to move around, and they're easy to um, set up, and they do have keys, so it's not like being in a tent where anyone could like force their way in. You can lock the door. But what Felix Rivera wanted us to know, although it will come up at the same time in discussion as the ex, uh, vote on the expenditures, initial expenditures for the pilot program, it is not a part of permanent shelter. It is another version two of- Two separate things. Two separate things. Temporary emergency shelter. So we will obviously keep our eye on so this. So much happening. So much happening on homeless. But this is an important, mm-hmm. perhaps changing moment in town because it's always better to have people in the same room agreeing on something. Or at least be in the same room and talking. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. So thanks for listening. Thank you.